And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Hey everybody, and welcome to The World of Myth Bits, episode 55. I am your host, Stephanie Brady. Oh, well, I am back recording in the boudoir at my house um, after a wonderful two weeks away at my sister's. I am home. I came home to some very happy animals and um, a very quiet house because my husband is on midnights this week, so... He was already gone to work by the time I got home, and my daughter is at her boyfriend's, so there's nobody here to greet me. <laughs> I feel so loved! Anyway, my animals are all quiet. You probably won't hear CJ meowing this episode, saying his hellos, because he's all worn out. Um, we had a little playtime, we had a little loving time, and he's all worn and stretched out, and Hanging out on the bed, keeping a laser eye on me. I took a picture of him, and the flash went off, and one eye looks like he's got a little laser in it, so so he's keeping his laser eye on me. I am exhausted. Oh, as you can tell, excuse me. <laughs> Today was my nephew's... Oh, he saw. Okay. CJ says hello. Um... Today we threw my nephew's birthday party, and he turns two tomorrow, which here in Canada is Remembrance Day. Uh, for those of you that don't know what Remembrance Day is, I can't even spell. It's to honor our veterans... I can't think, I can't spell, I can't do anything. I and I'm tired I'm tired from helping with the party. My sister and I have been planning it for the past two weeks and then the past three days since Friday it's been mass clean. Not that my sister's house is messy or dirty or anything, but she's you know she has a thing. <laughs> So we've been cleaning everything and getting it ready because my brother and his wife and their two kids came down on Friday to spend the weekend and my brother-in-law's brother was there um, and then my mom came home from her cruise on Saturday. So lots of people in the house. So there was lots of cleaning going on and shopping and planning and creating games for the little kids to play because we had a wide variety of ages. Um, my nephew turned two, well, turns two tomorrow, but we had the party, turns two on Monday, which is when this is going to come out, so today. Um, so there was a few kids his age, and then a few kids older, and they went, ranged in age from nine months to 11 years. So, and lots of adults came along with those kids. Anyway, it was a good day, um... The games went over really well, and um, my nephew was very happy. He had a good time. He was exhausted, 
And at one point in time, he was sitting in his high chair eating, um, because we had a cupcake decorating station. And he was eating his cupcake after, you know, perusing the buffet table that we had set up and eating chocolate cookies and goldfish and numerous other sugary snacks. And I do believe at one point in time he was in a sugar coma because I looked over and he was just kind of staring off blankly. Um, so yeah, he was born on remember Remembrance Day two years ago. And it's to come up. We in Canada, we wear a red poppy to show our support and our remembrance of those that died. Um, it's a Memorial Day observed in Commonwealth member states, such as, you know, us, since the end of the First World War to remember the members of the armed forces who have died in the line of duty. Following a tradition inaugurated by King George V in 1919, the day is also marked by war remembrances in many non-Commonwealth countries. Remembrance Day is observed on 11th of November in most countries to recall the end of hostilities of first of the First World War on the date 1918. Hostilities formally ended at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, in accordance with the armistice signed by representatives of Germany and the Entente between 512 and 520 that morning. At the 11th hour refers to the passing of the 11th hour, or 11 a.m. Now, in Canada, at 11 o'clock, we observe two minutes of silence. Um, a lot of places, obviously, like if a doctor's in the middle of surgery, he can't, you know, stop for two minutes and observe two minutes of silence. But generally, if there doesn't need to be any talking, there isn't. And you kind of bow your head and... Um, Remember those that died in the First World War. So, yeah, Remembrance Day. So my nephew was born on Remembrance Day. And um, that is today, November 11th. But we had his party on the Sunday. So it's also called Armitage Day. But everybody calls it Remembrance Day. If you go to YouTube, you can find um, some really good songs that talk about Remembrance Day. There's one by Brian Adams. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Oh, this is going to drive me nuts. So now I'm going to... I do actually have a plan for this episode. This is just everything that I'm talking about before I get to... The topic, there is The Highway of Heroes, which is one of my absolutely favorite songs, and it is an actual highway in Canada, or in Ontario, um, that runs from the airport, let me just get those coordinates for you so I don't misquote that, um, I've driven down it numerous times, um, you you never really think about it until like Remembrance Day and you're like, oh yeah, I've been on that highway. I've seen what happens. Um, there's a wonderful article 
in the Washington Post. I'm going to read you the article about that actual highway. It says, it was 2007 when the Canadian government renamed the freeway stretching from Trenton, Ontario to the city of Toronto, the Highway of Heroes. Also known as McDonald-Cartier Freeway or Highway 401, it meanders more than a 100 miles, most of it along Lake Ontario, the member of the Great Lakes that is fed by the Niagara River and its iconic waterfalls. I was there. The highway's name was coined unofficially in 2002 after the first of Canada's soldiers killed in Afghanistan was brought home. The remains were flown into Canadian Air Force Base in Trenton and then taken southwest to Toronto where a coroner awaited them. People young and old lined the highway waving the red and white Canadian flag emblazoned with maple leaf in tribute. Canada's involvement in Afghanistan has mostly ended but the patriotic tributes to its fallen soldiers have not. The latest to be saluted is Sergeant Andrew Dwarian, a Special Forces soldier who was killed in a friendly fire incident in northern Iraq on Friday. This article came out March 11, 2015. It is believed that he was killed by Kurdish troops the Canadians were training in a case of mistaken identity. Dwarian's, Dwarian's remains made their way down the Highway of Heroes on Tuesday. The tributes were captured in photos and videos shared on social media that underscored how much a part of Canadian culture the practice has become. And like there are overpasses and bridges all along that highway, and people just line the bridges and salute. Fire trucks will line the sides of the roads with the ladders up and the flag hanging down. Um, if you look at if you watch the video by the Trues called Highway of Heroes, you will see a lot of that in that video. Um, it's rather incredible. It, it is, is really an incredible thing to see. I've seen it once and it, it, it took my, it took my breath away. Um, the highway was the subject of a 2010 song by the Trues, as I said which is a Canadian rock band, and it was inspired by the 2006 death of Captain Nicola Goddard, who was the first female Canadian soldier killed in combat and was from Antigonosh, Nova Scotia, which is the band's hometown. So, anyway, it's the Highway of Heroes. So that's one of the Remembrance Day songs. Then there is A Pittance of Time by Terry Kelly, and that song makes me cry every single time it makes me cry because you think about it you're asked to stand quietly in reverence for those that have died fighting in a war that isn't theirs or fighting for our freedoms and our beliefs and and our our rights as canadians and we're asked to give up two minutes of our time it really is a pittance. And some people can't be bothered. Oh, you know, I don't have time for that. Well, they had time to go and fight and they had time to go and die. So you could have time to take two minutes out of your day at 11 o'clock on November 11th to remember what they did. So I get a little testy. My grandfather was um, a military man. And he fought in, he was with the 
Royal Canadian Air Force. So he was a flyboy. And then at the end, just before World War One ended, uh, World War One, World War Two, World War Two ended. One ended. Uh, two, I think. Um, and they disbanded. He re-upped and joined the army because he was a military man. He served his country. And when he left the army, um, because he was an incredible telegrapher, he ended up getting um, a position, because he was trained for it in the army, he got a position with um, CP Rail, the railway. So he became a railway man, which unfortunately caused my grandmother great distress because every few months they had to move to another province um, and set up house again, <laughs> which drove her batty. She doesn't, my grandmother never did well with change, but my aunt and my mom got to see a lot of our, our country because my grandfather was station master for a variety of stations and he would be transferred here, there and everywhere. Um, yeah, so he he was very patriotic. He was very um, about his country. So I take that time um, on Remembrance Day for my grandfather and for several others. There was a um, a book written by Farley Mowat about the war and what it was like lying in the trenches. And my grandfather's brother actually was in the trenches with Farley Mowat. He's mentioned in the book. And No Birds Sang. Um, and it, it really talks about um, the war and what it was like and the conditions they had to endure and the feel of being in the trenches, and in the middle of everything. So, I'm just reading. It says, um, Turned away from the Royal Canadian Air Force for his apparent youth and frailty, Farley Mowat joined the infantry in 1940. The young second lieutenant soon earned the trust of the soldiers under his command and was known to bend army rules to secure a stout drink or find warm, if not regulation, clothing. But when Moet and his regiment engaged with elite German forces in the mountains of Sicily, the optimism of their early days as soldiers was replaced by despair. With a naturalist's eye and ears, Moet takes on the full dark depths of the war, and his moving account of military service and the friends he left behind is also a plea for peace. It is one of the most searing and unforgettable World War II memoirs from any Canadian. And... I am very honored that, um, I think it was my uncle Donnie, my grandfather's brother, who is mentioned in the book. Remembrance Day is a big deal to me. I have history with it. So yeah, if you want to, if you're not Canadian and you're not sure what Remembrance Day is and you want to find a bit more about it, just Google it. Look it up. Check out some of the songs that I mentioned. Um, read the books. There's a ton of books out there. But the book and No Birds Sang by Far by Farley Mowat is incredible. And now I'm going to torture you. <laughs> I wrote a poem for my grandfather 
and I wrote it for him in 2008, I believe it was. Um, and I wrote it specifically for him because this was very much the man he was. The, the personality that he had, what he believed. Um, and I got the opportunity to read it to him and he cried. He, he really loved it. So this is my show. <laughs> I am as soon as I find it because I'm sorry, I can't remember, um, my poems off the top of my head. I've never been able to. I write them and they're gone out of my head. So I have to find it now. So this is the poem that I wrote for my grandfather in honor of Remembrance Day. It's called, For Those Who Went Before Us. Become a random act of kindness. Be thankful that you can. For those who went before us are the ones who gave a damn. With a coffee, hand, or smile, pay it forward if you choose. For those who went before us had everything to lose. Share a moment with a vet, with their plates all poppy red. For the ones who went before us, not enough is ever said. For the ones who went before us gave their life without a pause. For freedom in our country, fighting someone else's cause. Keep vigil in your heart, each day of every year. For those who went before us, and the ones who still are here. I wrote that in 2008. Now, what I meant by, um, with their plates all poppy red, in Canada, if you're a vet, you can get a license plate, your license plate, with a red poppy on it. So you see those plates, and you know that that person that owns that car, and probably driving that car, is a veteran. So, you know, do something nice for them. Okay, so I think I've probably depressed you enough. <laughs> So now I'm going to get into the meat of the podcast. And it was what I was going to do last week. And then I ended up veering off into left field and doing something else. Um, this week, I'm going to talk about expressions. Those little things that we say and that we do um, and where they came from. Like, do you ever wonder? I mean, there's an expression. Now, I don't know if it's... Um, said so much in the warmer, well, it wouldn't be in the warmer climates of the United States, but we say it here in Canada and I've heard it in, um, places like Michigan and places that are cold. And the expression is freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Now it's a reference to extreme cold. And according to the United States Navy historical center, this is a legend of the sea without historical justification. The center has researched this because of the question it gets and says the term brass monkey and a vulgar reference to the effect of the cold on a monkey's extremities appear to have originated in the book Before the Mast, a C.A. Abbey by C.A. Abbey published in 1857. It was said that it was so cold that it would freeze the tail off a brass monkey. And the Navy says there's no evidence that the phrase had anything to do with ships or ships with cannonballs. Now, the rumor is that the racks that the cannonballs would sit on was called a brass monkey. And when it would get, there was little divots that the cannonballs would sit in. And when it gets so cold, the shape of those divots would change. And the cannonballs would become unstable. 
and they would roll off. So that's what that means. But yeah, a brass monkey is a naval term for the holder that holds the cannonballs. It was made of brass and the cannonballs were not. So when it got cold enough, the two metals would contract by different amounts and the cannonballs would no longer fit properly in the holder and thus fall off. Okay, so let's see. Oh, cat got your tongue. Now that is a common one that we use when um, somebody has, is silent and you know you thought they were going to say something and they didn't. Your cat got your tongue. Now the origin. There are two stories on how this came into being. The first one says that it could have come from a whip called a cat of nine tails, and that was used by the English Navy for flogging, and often the flogging left the victims speechless. The second one may be from ancient Egypt, where liars' tongues were cut out as punishment and fed to their cats. Okay, so that's an interesting one. Then we have the walls have ears. Now, that means that people could be listening or eavesdropping. So, the face Louvre Palace in France was believed to have a network of listening tubes so that it would be possible to hear everything that was said in different rooms. People say this is how the Queen Catherine de Medici discovered political secrets and plots. Well, that makes sense. Okay, bury the hatchet. I means, you know, ending a quarrel forgiving and forgetting kind of thing. Now, during negotiations between Puritans and Native American, Native Americans, men would bury all of their weapons, making them inaccessible. That is a really, really, really good idea. Now, there is an addendum to this that says, this phrase predates the Puritans. Several Native American tribes joined together as one nation so they could better defend themselves against a warrior tribe. They symbolically buried a stone hatchet under a cypress tree. No group would bury all of their weapons because there are always other threats and need to hunt and the possibility of one side not holding up their end. Okay, so, cold feet. Everybody hears about, you know, getting cold feet before you get married or, you know, doing something that makes you really, really nervous. So the idiom originates from a military term. Warriors who had frozen feet were not able to rush into battle. Oh, bigwig. The bigwigs. Okay. So a bigwig is usually referred to as somebody who's important or the higher-ups in a company, something like that. Back in the 18th century, the most important political figures would wear the biggest wigs. Hence, today, influential people are called bigwigs. Caught red-handed. Now, this one I found really interesting, because I've read through these. This one I found really interesting. Now, it means that you've been caught in the act of doing something wrong or illegal. You know, busted. The origin is, there is an old law, not sure where the law, in what place it is, but there's an old law stating that if someone butchered an animal that didn't belong to him, he would only be punished if he was caught with the blood on his hands, hence making the hands red. If one was caught with the meat, but his hands were clean, he would not be punished, because having fresh meat is not a crime. Raining cats and dogs. 
Everybody says that when it's raining really, really hard. This idiom has two stories that try and explain its origin. The first explanation says that the origin of this phrase comes from North mythology, Norse mythology, where cats would symbolize heavy rains and dogs were associated with gods of storm, Odin. The second version says that 16th century England, that in 16th century England, houses had thatched roofs and were one of the few places where animals were able to get warm. Sometimes, when it would start to rain heavily, roofs would get slippery and the cats would fall off, making it look like it's raining cats and dogs. Blood is thicker than water, meaning family relationships and loyalties are the strongest and most important ones. Even though many may think this saying means that we should put family ahead of friends, it actually meant the complete opposite. The full phrase actually was, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That's one expression, and it refers to warriors who shared the blood they shed in battles together. These blood brothers were said to have stronger bonds than biological brothers. And it also refers to how old covenants and contracts were made. An animal was cut in half, and the two halves were laid on the ground a few feet apart from each other, forming a path. The two making the covenant would walk down the path saying, May this be done to me, should I break my oath. Okay, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Meaning, find fault with something that has been received or left as a gift or favor. While buying a horse, people would determine the horse's age and condition based on its teeth and then decide whether they want to buy it or not. This is the reason why people use this idiom to say it is rude to look for flaws in a thing that was given to you as a gift. Barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Pursuing a mistaken or misguided line of thought or course of action. So the origin of this one is the phrase refers to hunting dogs who chase their prey up a tree. Once it climbed the tree, the dogs barked at them. Yet sometimes the dog would continue barking even if the prey was no longer there. Hello, CJ. Turning a blind eye. Pretending not to notice. It is believed that this phrase originates with naval hero Horatio Nelson, who used his blind eye to look through his telescope. This way, he was able to avoid signals from his superiors who wanted wanted him to withdraw from battle. He attacked, nevertheless, and was victorious. I see no ships, said Nelson. Bite the bullet. Now, this one most people do know. Um, it's a decision to do something difficult or unpleasant that you've been putting off or procrastinating about. Now, during battles, there was no time to administer anesthesia while performing surgeries. And because of that, patients were made to bite down on bullets to distract themselves from the pain. You could use wood, leather, etc. It wasn't so much a distraction, but it was more to prevent them from cracking their teeth when they clenched them. So, one for the road. There's a good one. Final drink before leaving a place. During the Middle Ages, the condemned ones were taken through what today is known as Oxford Street to their execution. During this final trip, the cart would stop and they would be allowed to have one final drink before their death. So, honeymoon. I didn't think that was a idiom. A holiday spent together by a newly married couple. According to tradition, a newlywed couple would have to drink a beverage with honey for an extra month for fertility and good luck. Oh, for the entire month for fertility and good luck. White elephant. 
which is a possession that is useless, useless or troublesome, especially one that is expensive to maintain. My cat's jumping at things on the back of my door now. Okay. White elephants were considered to be sacred creatures in Thailand, yet they were also very hard to take care of. It is believed that Siamese kinds, now Thailand, would gift white elephants as a subtle form of punishment, since taking care of this animal would drive the recipient into financial ruin. Okay. Break a leg, which means good luck in theatrical terms. It is believed that the phrase dates to World War I Germany and a saying used by German actors. I am not going to try and say this in German, but it translates to a broken neck and a broken leg. Beside that, it doesn't make sense why Why would you wish someone to break a leg. Well, as it turns out, popular folklore down through the ages encouraged people to wish others bad luck, since it was believed that wishing someone good luck would tempt evil spirits. So, you guessed it, people started wishing each other to break a leg in order for them to not break one. Now, another popular thought is that break a leg is actually in reference to the leg line. Venues would often have more acts than stage time, and acts would only get paid if they performed. If they went up, they passed the leg line, so they got paid. Thus, break a leg was to get paid. Okay, give the cold shoulder. You reject somebody, or you're unfriendly, or you're rude. This saying that is currently considered to describe someone rude was actually considered an act of politeness. During medieval times in England, after everyone was done feasting, the host would give his guests a cold piece of meat from the shoulder of the beef or pork as a way of showing that it was time for everyone to leave. Okay, so riding shotgun. This is used, everybody, you know, shotgun! And you get the passenger seat in the front. Everybody who has siblings or friends or who's ever gone on a road trip, Jason, I am calling shotgun. Just saying. You yell, shotgun! Anyway, so the expression refers to the passenger of an old-fashioned stagecoach who sat next to the driver with a shotgun to protect from attackers and robbers along the way. There's no evidence to, to suggest the expression was actually used in times of the Wild West, but most likely came about much later on when media and films began to romanticize the period. Okay, crocodile tears. And I actually... um one of the little girls at the party today, she was crying, and they were definite crocodile tears. So, it means tears are expressions of sorrow that are insincere. The origin, it's written in the 14th century, a book called The Travels of Sir John Mandeville, recounts a knight's adventures through Asia. In the book, it says that crocodiles shed tears while eating a man they captured. Even though it is factually inaccurate, the phrase crocodile tears found its way into Shakespeare's work and became an idiom in the 16th century, symbolizing insincere, insincere grief. Oh, to kick the bucket means to die. When killing a cow at slaughterhouses, people would place a bucket under the animal while it was positioned on a pulley. While trying to adjust the animal, the cow would kick out its legs and therefore kick the bucket before being killed. And show your true colors, revealing one's character or intentions. To confuse their enemies, warships would use multiple flags. However, warfare rules dictated that the ships must show its actual flag before firing, 
and hence the ships would then display its true colors. Close, but no cigar. Meaning, almost, but not quite. Origin. In the late 19th century, carnival games were targeted to adults and not children. So the winners would get a cigar as a prize instead of stuffed animals. If the person was close to winning but did not succeed, they say it was close, but no cigar. Waking up on the wrong side of the bed. I think we've all done that. Throughout history, the left side of basically anything was considered to be the evil side. So waking up on the left side was also considered to be a sign of bad luck. To ward off evil, house owners would push the left sides of the beds to the corner, so their guests would have no other option but than to get up on the right side. Butter someone up. Now this one I found rather interesting. You know, we say we butter someone up, we're flattering them, we're stroking their ego, making them feel good. In ancient India, people used to throw balls of clarified butter at the statues of gods in order to seek favor. Think about this. They're throwing balls of butter at the statues of their gods, saying, please like me. Please, please grant me this wish. Interesting. Put a sock in it. Yeah, basically, shut the hell up. In the late 19th century, people would use woolen socks to stuff the horns of their gramophones or record players to lower the sound, since these machines had no volume controllers. So, stuffing a sock in it really did make things quieter. Son of a gun. A jocular or affectionate way of addressing or referring to someone. Or, you can say it is a way Son of a gun? Surprise. Back in the day, sailors would sometimes take their wives on long ocean voyages. It is believed that if the woman gave birth on a ship, it should take place between the cannons on the ship's gun deck, since it was the most secluded place. Because of this reason, a child that was born on a ship would be called Son of a Gun. Best Man A male friend or relative chosen by the bridegroom to assist him at his wedding. Okay, so it is said that during feudal days, it was possible that a rival lord would try to break up a wedding ceremony and steal the bride for political reasons. To avoid any trouble, grooms would ask their best friends to stand next to them during the ceremony so they would help during the possible battle. The man standing next to the groom was named Best Man. Also in old days, if the bridegroom did a runner, the bride had to marry or it would be bad luck, so she married the next Best Man. Born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Usually meaning you're born into a wealthy family. It is an old tradition for godparents to gift a silver spoon to a christened child. However, not everyone was able to afford this type of luxury, so those who did receive the spoon as a gift were considered to be wealthy. Sometimes even spoiled. Steal one's thunder. Ooh. I'm sure we've all been accused of that, and I'm sure we've all accused someone of that. So you think you've done something awesome and unique, but someone got in there first and took your credit. Spare a thought for playwright, playwright John Dennis, who, back in the 18th century, made a machine that could nicely mimic the sound of thunder for his play. Sadly, his play wasn't a success, but somebody had taken note of his clever invention. When... Later on, in another theater, Dennis found someone had copied his thunder machine and was using it without credit. He got mad. Really mad. 
somebody had stolen his thunder. <laughs> Get one's goat. I know a couple of people who do that to me on a regular basis. During horse racing, some horses would get anxious. So owners would place goats in the stalls with them to calm them down. I think they still do that. Rival horse owners would sometimes steal these goats, before, therefore upsetting the horses and making it more likely for them to lose. Achilles heel. Now this is one of my favorite Greek, Greek myths, so... It's a weakness or a vulnerable point. The phrase comes from Greek mythology where Thetis dipped her son Achilles in the river Styx, a river that was believed to be a source of incredible power and invulnerability. However, Thetis was holding her son by his heel, meaning it was the only part of his body that was not touched by water, making his heel vulnerable. Eventually, Achilles was shot, was killed by the shot of an arrow in his heel. And that's what we call the tendon at the back of the heel on the foot is the Achilles heel. Yeah. My ears are burning, which means that someone is talking about you. This idiom dates back to ancient Romans who believed that burning sensations in various organs had different meanings. In fact, it was believed that if your left ear is burning, it signaled an evil intent. If your right ear was burning, you were actually being praised. Hmm. Let the cat out of the bag. And this has, that is a literal expression, not just an idiom. It's a literal, go let the cat out of that bag. Because my cat likes to be in bags. Some time ago, farmers who sold pigs would bring them to the market wrapped up in a bag unscrupulous ones would replace the pig with a cat, and if someone would accidentally let the cat out, their fraud would be uncovered. Blue blood. Now, I'm not saying these are the actual um, meanings. This is just the meanings on this page. So, if I'm wrong, please correct me and let me know, and next week I will give the correct meaning. Hello, CJ. CJ, what are you doing? He's being weird. Okay, so, blue blood is, refers to being of noble birth. Saying that some has, someone has blue blood comes from the Middle Ages, where it was believed that those who had pale skin, meaning their ancestors has not, had not intermarried with darker skinned partners, were noble or aristocrat. The main reasoning behind that is that when your skin is really pale, the veins are more visible and they usually look quite blue. And it also meant that they didn't work outside, they weren't touched by the sun, um, so they remained very pale. Every cloud has a silver lining. Look for the good. This expression can be traced directly from a piece written in 1634 by English poet John Milton called Cummus, a mask presented at Ludlow Castle. He spoke of a silver lining of brightness behind a gloomy cloud, and soon afterward, Milton's clouds became a staple of English literature. The proverb, every cloud has a silver lining, eventually came into being in the 1800s, a time of optimism and positivity in the upper classes of Victorian England. The whole nine yards to do everything that is possible or available. During World War II, pilots would have a nine-yard chain of ammunition. When a fighter pilot used all of their ammunition on one target, 
they would give the whole nine yards. Now, there is no consensus on the actual origin of this one. Could be bridal veils, saris, burial shrouds, ship sails, kilts, all are offered as explanations older than the American ammunition theory. So, sleep tight. Sleep well, basically, is what that means. The full expression is sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. But anyway, it is believed that the saying comes from Shakespeare's time when mattresses were secured by ropes. During that time, sleeping tight meant sleeping with the ropes pulled tight, making a well-sprung bed. Shakespeare had a lot of expressions. Maybe that's what we'll do next week. We will talk about, next week we will talk about modern day expressions that actually come from Shakespeare. So, piece of cake. Something easily achieved. The saying, piece of cake, comes from American poet Ogden Nash, who, in 1930, was quoted saying, life's piece of cake. Very self-explanatory. Spill the beans. Revealing secret information, kind of like letting the cat out of the bag. This saying comes from ancient Greece, where voting was done using beans. Citizens would put a white bean into a jar of a candidate they supported and a black one for a candidate they did not approve of. However, on a few occasions, clumsy people would spill the jars, revealing classified information. Pull out all the stops. So, everybody knows what that means. Organ consoles... Oh, organ consoles have knobs that are called stops. Without them, the organist can play at a much higher volume. So, pulling out all the stops would let the organist squeeze the maximum volume out of the instrument. Classic pipe organs have many sets of pipes, with the stops controlling airflow with each set. With all of the stops pushed in, there is no air movement at all, so there's no sound. Strategically, pulling out stops allows the organist to greatly influence the quality of the sound. Pulling out all of the stops activates all of the pipes, so it results in a very full sound, and yes, maximum volume. Run amok. Amok, amok, amok. I think at the birthday party today, there were several children running amok. The saying comes from the Malaysian word amok, which describes the bizarre behavior of tribesmen who, under the influence of opium, would become wild and attack people. Okie dokie. Think about that the next time you'd say your kid's running amok. Resting on one's laurels. To be sat so satisfied with what one has already achieved that one makes no further effort. Since ancient Greece, laurel branches symbolized victory and success. This plan was closely tied to Apollo, the god of music, prophecy, and poetry. Laurel branches were given to victorious athletes in ancient Greece and later to generals who won important battles. Thus the term laureates and the phrase resting on laurels. In the 19th century, the term received a negative connotation to describe those who were overly satisfied with their achievements. Eat humble pie. Ooh, we've all had to do that once or twice. I know I have. In the Middle Ages, there would be a huge feast after a hunt. Now, the lord of the manor would receive the finest piece of meat, obviously, and the ones with a lower status would eat a pie filled with the entrails and innards, and which were known as umbles. Those who would eat the umble pie were considered to be humiliated since it symbolized their lower status. 
hands down. Hands down is an idiom born from the world of horse racing. Think about it. You are so far ahead of the chasing pack that you, as the jockey, can sit back, relax, and still win the race without win the race even without your hands on the reins. Winning at a canter is a similar expression, also from the track, but this one is better, hands down. <laughs> oh, take the piss. Okay, that's I've never heard that one before. Apparently, it means mock someone or something. Back in the day when clothes were dyed with natural dye, stale urine was used as a mordant, as mordant, which stops the natural dye from leaching out of the cloth. Ew! The textile industry needed all the urine it could get, so workers would go around and collect specially designated chamber pots full of urine from people's houses. It was probably the least desirable job at the time, so people who did it would often lie about their profession. And so the question was born from those in doubt. Really? Are you taking the piss? I, I've never heard that before. Wolf in sheep's clothing. The warning that you can't necessarily trust someone who appears kind and friendly on the outside is centuries old, dating back to the Bible. In the English language, the King James Version of the Bible from 1611 has the passage in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Pulling someone's leg, that's a sports term. While there is no evidence to back up these claims, there are two popular theories for the origins of this playful expression, neither of them particularly playful. The first relates to thieves in medieval times, who apparently pulled on the legs of their victims to trip them, and then swiftly made off with their booty. The second theory comes from the Tyburn, the principal place of execution in Ye old England. It referred to the so-called hangers-on who tugged at the legs of the people being hanged to give them a merciful swift death. Neither of these theories are really plausible, however, so the search for the true origin continues. Let your hair down. It was an important rule between Parisian nobles to wear elaborate hairdos while in public. Some of the looks required hours of long work. Clearly, a moment of taking your hair down after a long day became associated with a relaxing ritual. To sell someone down the river. This idiom comes from the 19th century in the southern states of America. During this period, it was already illegal to import slaves. So there would be internal trades where people would ship slaves down the Mississippi River and sell them at the market. For this reason, selling someone down the river symbolizes betraying someone and using them for your own good. And it also refers to kidnapping free black people in the north and taking them down the river to sell them into slavery. Read the Riot Act. Now, the Riot Act actually reads as follows. If any persons to the number of twelve or more unlawfully, riotously, and tumultuously assemble together to the disturbance of the public peace, and being required by any justice by proclamation in the king's name, in the exact form of the Riot Act 1, George 1, Session 2, C5, S2, to disperse themselves and peaceably depart, shall be the number of twelve or more unlawfully, riotously, and tumultuously remain or continue together for an hour after such proclamation shall be guilty of a felony. The form of proclamation is as follows. 
Our Sovereign Lord and King chargeth and commandeth all persons being assembled immediately to disperse themselves and peaceably depart to their habitations or to their lawful business upon the pains contained in the act made in the first year of King George the First for preventing tumults and riotous assemblies. God save the King. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> In 18th century England, the Riot Act was a legal document that was read aloud in front of a crowd bigger than 12 people that were considered a threat to the peace. A public official would read a small part of the act and order people to leave peacefully within an hour. Anyone that remained after one hour was subject to arrest or removal by force. Rule of Thumb It is believed that the Rule of Thumb comes from 17th century England, where Judge Sir Francis Bueller ruled that husbands could beat their wives with a stick if it was no wider than his thumb. Paint the town red. There are two versions of how this idiom came to use. First, it is believed that back in 1837, a famous mischief maker known as the Marquis of Waterford had a wild night out with his group of friends, during which they knocked over flower pots, pulled knockers off doors, and even broke windows. One of their biggest acts of vandalism was painting the doors of several homes with red paint. The other version of this story says that the origin of this idiom might have originated from the brothels of the American West, where they referred to drunk men behaving as if the whole town was a red-light district. Bad boys. Beat around the bush. Beating around the bush is actually an action performed while hunting, driving birds and other animals out into the open. After this was done, others would then catch the animals. Break the ice. In the old days, commercial ships would often get stuck in frozen rivers during wintertime, so smaller ships, called icebreakers, would come to clear a path to shore by breaking the ice. In the 17th century, people began to use the phrase to mean to reduce tension on a social situation. More than you can shake a stick at. This idiom was born when farmers who waved sticks to herd sheep would have more sheep than they could control. We're almost there, folks. I swear. Minding your P's and Q's. I wonder where this one was going to pop up. This expression has quite a few theories as to its origin, but our favorite refers to the practice of chalking up a tab of drinks for later payment. The P refers to pints, and the Q is quarts. You could do well to correctly tally up the right amount as to not to cause offense, especially a customer with a few beers under his belt. Again, there is little to support this theory other than the correct lettering, but we like it nonetheless. Another one where no one is exactly sure of the origin, as early rhyme by Charles Churchill, published in 1700s, on all occasions next the chair, he stands for service of the mayor, and to instruct him how to use his A's and B's and P's and Q's. Doesn't mean that the origin of the expression to mind them, other, others explain as please and thank you, as latter sounds like thank you, and these words were vital for manners. So, mind your P's and Q's, mind your manners. Go bananas! The word banana is an inherently funny word. The expression, go bananas, has no conclusive origin 
but it may be linked to Go Ape, which became popular in the 1950s when monkeys were being launched on rockets and were a popular subject in films and TV. The link between monkeys, bananas, and crazy behavior may have been the catalyst for the popularization of the expression. Bananas have become central to slapstick comedy in general, with somebody slipping on a banana peel in a timeless classic. Early in the 20th century, people used to say that that's banana oil when referring to a nonsense, and the expression Banana Republic was pejoratively used to refer to a chaotic, backward little country that wasn't to be taken seriously. Bananas. Pleased as punch. A puppet show in the 17th century called Punch and Judy featured a puppet named Punch, who killed people and took great joy in doing so. He would feel pleased with himself afterwards, from which the saying, pleased as Punch, was born. Called on the carpet, or called to the carpet. Like many idioms, a precise origin of this one is not entirely certain. Well, nowadays, the expression is used to refer to a reprimand originating from the days when a servant was called from their bare-floored quarters to get an ear-bashing from the boss on carpeted opulence, there is an alternative theory to its true origins. The word carpet used to refer to a thick cloth that could be placed anywhere, often on a table. Therefore, on the carpet used to mean that an issue was on the table or up for discussion. Show a leg. Just before the ships were about to leave port, sailors would try and sneak in a lady and hide them in their hammock. Before leaving, officers would ask anyone in a hammock to show a leg. If a hairless leg appeared, a woman was asked to leave the ship quickly. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. In the 16th century, most people would bathe only once a year. And even when they did, the entire family would bathe in the same water. Usually it was the men of the house that bathed first, followed by other males, females, and finally babies. The end of this yearly routine, the water would be so dirty and cloudy that mothers would have to be careful not to throw the infants out with the water. No spring chicken. In New England, farmers would sell their chickens in the spring, so the young chickens that were born in springtime would sell better than those who survived during the winter. Some farmers would try and sell their older chickens for the same price as spring chickens, which is why the saying, no spring chicken, came into use to describe someone past their prime. By and large. That's what we use in Canada. A phrase that usually, that, a phrase that is usually used as a synonym for all things considered originates from the 16th century, where the word large meant that a ship was sailing with the wind at its back. Meanwhile, the word by meant the opposite, that the ship was sailing into the wind. The mariners used the phrase by and large to refer to sailing in any and all directions relative to the wind. Go cold turkey. Trying to quit something abruptly. It is believed that during drug withdrawal, the skin of addicts turns hard and tough, covered with goosebumps, and even translucent, similar to the skin of a plucked turkey. What? Well, that's appealing. Once in a blue moon. This one is rather obvious, since a blue moon is an astro- astronomical phenomenon that is visible once every 2.7 years even though the moon actually looks more gray than blue, according to NASA. It might appear to be blue when it's affected by volcanic eruptions or forest fires due to the oils and smoke. It also refers to 
a full moon that appears more than once in a month. So, a jaywalker. Jaybirds would often become disoriented in urban areas after flying in from the forests. Dangers in the cities like traffic, for example, would leave them confused and cause erratic behavior. Due to this, people started using the term jaywalker to describe someone walking the streets irresponsibly. There's also another theory that says, During the days when cars were first becoming more popular, people and even children were being killed by the cars driving too fast down populated areas. Instead of raising awareness in the drivers, auto industries started advertising that people who walked in the road, previously perfectly normal, were just a bunch of J's. That, in that era, a derogatory slur. Parents wouldn't want their kids to be considered a filthy jaywalker, so they began to use sidewalks and footpaths instead. And that, my friends, is the history behind some of our most popular expressions. Some I haven't even heard. And that will conclude our show for tonight. I think I've probably gone close to an hour. Um, it was done in two segments, so <laughs> I have to send both parts to Dave. He will patch it, patch it together, and you won't know where one ended and the other started, because he's just that good. All right, everybody, I will see you all next week. Don't forget to check us out at www.theworldofmyth.com, on Facebook at The World of Myth Magazine, or The World of Myth Bits Podcast, or me on Facebook at author Stephanie Barty. You can find us on Twitter at the World of Myth Magazine, the World of Myth Bits podcast, or me, Lupa B. And I am also over on Instagram at Stephanie Barty Author. So come find me. And have a great week, everybody. We will talk to you next week. See ya. The world of myth bits.